Good morning. Good to see everyone today. As Elliot said, we are concluding our life, life hack message series. Life hacks are tips that save you time by giving you a, a shortcut to some of the common uh, tasks of life. The internet is a, a great source for all of these kinds of life hacks. But if you want to build a better life, not just keep bananas fresh longer or boil eggs that peel more easily, uh, we are wise to consider the real shortcuts in life that God has given. And this is what we've been considering. The best concentration of these kinds of shortcuts are found in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. So we've been looking at God's shortcuts, his life hacks out of these two books. Now, not only is it helpful to understand where God has placed the shortcuts in life, it's also equally important to know where there are no shortcuts. Some things just take time and require patience. So in Ecclesiastes 7:8, it says this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Now, you may know this proverb in its more recent form, which is this, hindsight is 2020. That's really what this is saying. You know, when you get to the end of a matter and you look back with the benefit of hindsight, what you'll often see is that there were key points if you had just slowed down a little bit, if you'd just been a little more patient rather than arrogant and fast, things probably would have gone a lot better. So I thought it'd be helpful to conclude this series by looking at three of the legitimate lines in life that God has established and for which there are no cuts. There are no shortcuts. There are no life hacks for these three. Now, we can, in pride, try to take cuts in any one of these three lines, but it's always going to make things worse. Three lines without cuts. Let's begin. The first line is the results line. The results line. At the end of um, a 30-minute workout video that I currently use, they advertise uh, another exercise product with these words. This is what they promise. You give me 10 minutes, and I'll give you the body you always wanted. So after every exercise, after I spend 30 minutes, I hear this. You give me 10 minutes, I'll give you the body you always wanted. That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, that's why I bought it. So guess what? 10 minutes a day, and I still don't have the body I've always wanted. It turns out that in order to get results, you need to give them three 10-minute slots a day, not just 10 minutes. And then there is the all-important eating plan. They didn't say that. So once again, as expected, there is no shortcut when it comes to diet and exercise. So why overpromise? Why tell people like me, you give me 10 minutes and I'll give you the body you've always wanted? Why, why make that promise? Well, we all want results. And if there's a way to reduce the time and the pain of exercise and healthy eating, we'll probably fall for something like that eventually. Now, the focus on results goes beyond just exercise and, and eating. It really goes across the spectrum of life. If you have a job or if you own a business, you need to come up with results. You know, your customer isn't paying you just to be nice. The company isn't paying you just to hang around. They want you to come up with results. If you have kids, you expect them to eventually grow up and, and leave the house and lead productive lives. You expect results out of your parenting efforts. If you have investments, well, you expect results. You expect returns. Now, results are not bad. Results are a good thing. In fact, the first words that God spoke to Adam and Eve in the Bible were results-oriented. You remember what he said? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Let's come up with some results now. Let's come up with some kids here. 
Now, the problem is that results in any form are rather unpredictable, and they require a lot of work, and they take some time. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, is a very good description of what it's like to wait patiently in advance, step by step, in the results line. It reads pretty much like a riddle, and so if you read through it, it's pretty confusing at first read. So let me read this to you, and then we're going to unravel this riddle. Here's what it says, Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. You give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Okay, everybody understand this completely? Like I said, it's, it's written like a riddle, so let's unravel this. It starts out by saying, cast your bread upon the waters. Now, this is not talking about going to the park and feeding the ducks. Something different than that. It's talking about how much effort it takes to come up with results. You know, if you go down to the ocean and you throw chunks of bread, or really anything that floats into the water, the wind and the currents and the waves are going to take it. But after many days, what's going to happen? Some of that's going to come back, right? You'll find it again. Now, much of it, in fact, most of it will be lost at sea. But some of the bread, some of the material, is going to wash back on shore. What's the point? The point is this. It takes a lot of work to see a little bit of results. It's not a one-for-one exchange. It's not this amount of work and this amount of results. No, it's this much work, this much results. There's a lot of, a lot of work that seems like, ah, it's just not working. I'm not coming up with the results here. It just takes a lot of effort. So one thing is certain. If you don't cast any bread on the water, none of it will ever come back. So what should you do? Well, it goes on to say, give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not, know, do not know what disaster may come upon the land. What this is saying is you don't know what's going to fail. You don't know where disaster is going to strike. All you do know is that there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be disaster. There's going to be failure in your efforts. But don't let that stop you. Keep giving another portion of your life to the effort. I mean, it may, it may be seven or eight setbacks or failures before there's finally a breakthrough, and you don't want to have quit on portion number four, effort push number four, if it was going to take seven or eight. Now, you do want to learn from setbacks, and if what you're doing really is foolish, then you need to stop it. But with any endeavor in life, you can expect failure. You can expect loss. You, you can expect setbacks. So the, the solution is not just to get out of line and quit because the results aren't showing up. No, you, just, you have to keep putting effort into it. Maybe you can make some adjustments, but the answer is not just sit down and wait for life to take care of itself. That's not the way God's designed things. You keep giving portions to it, realizing you don't know what's going to work or not. Now, be smart about it, but still, you just don't know. Nothing's guaranteed. Why, why can't we know? Why can't we guarantee results? Well, it's because they're just 
so many factors that make results. It's very complicated. And there's all kinds of factors into the results equation that we don't understand, that we don't control, that are beyond our ability to know. It goes on to give us just a couple examples of something we just, we don't know. One example, the first one is weather. Now, what we do know is this. It says, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Oh, that's brilliant, right? That's just amazing insight. You know, if there's water in those clouds, it'll rain. Everybody knows that, right? You don't have to have a meteorology degree to know that if there's water in those clouds, it's going to come down. What would be helpful to know is where those clouds and when those clouds are going to show up and dump rain. That way, if you're a farmer, you would know when to plant and when not to plant. But even with our advanced weather forecasting, we just don't know. I mean, last year was supposed to be this horrible El Nino. It was up north, but not down here. I mean, we were, you know, if you remember this time last year, it was, you know, we're probably not going to live through the year. We're going to be all swept out to sea. Uh, no, you know, we weren't. All we know is that if there's water in those clouds, it's going to rain. Where are they going to go? We, we get a little better on that, but we still, we, when it comes right now, we just don't know. The other thing that we don't know is the direction of the future, which way things are going to go in the future. So it goes on to say, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Well, again, an, another just amazing insight, right? Well, it looks like that tree fell to the north. How do you know? Well, there it is, lying to the north. Oh, brilliant. You're, you're, really, you're really smart. It's stating how obvious some things are. That's an amazing insight. Obviously, it's not. What would be helpful to know is not to say, yeah, that tree fell to the north, but to know when it was going to fall and where it was going to fall before it, in fact, did fall. That would be helpful to know. Then you would know, for example, whether to build your house on the north or the south side of where that big tree is. After it falls and crushes your house, the direction in which it fell, well, that's, not, that's too late to know that. Oh, if I'd only known it was going to fall on the other side, I would have built stuff on the opposite side, the safe side. Now, this is not just talking about trees. The falling tree is, is just an image of the larger point that we have no idea which direction the future is going to go. We just don't know. You know, will the stock market or the economy go up or down in 2017? I don't know. I mean, you can read experts pretty well evenly split on this one. And they'll cite all kinds of evidence, but at the end of every article, they really, if they're smart, they say, we really don't know. At the end of 2017, I'll be able to tell you with certainty what happened. That's what this is saying. After it rained, yeah, it rained. After the tree fell, yeah, it fell to the north. After 2017, yep, stock market went down. Yep, stock market went up. Well, no, then. But that information is too late if the direction it went crushed your investments or destroyed your business. It would be helpful to know that in advance. But we just don't know. The point that's being made here is life is a risk. You know, it's reason why some people just decide to step out of the results line. Why they decide, you know what, <laughs> I'm just... I'm not going to put in a lot of effort. I'm just going to do minimal stuff because I've tried and I've failed. And I look around me, I see all kinds of people who've tried and they've failed. Sometimes people insist on ideal conditions before they're going to put in A-level effort. And so they're always coming up with excuses and reasons why 
no, 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 it's just not, it's just not, that job's quite not perfect enough, or, or this, this is just not, you know, it's just not a good time to do this. You know, this, this is beyond just normal kind of looking, yeah, that's a terrible job, I shouldn't take it, or yeah, this is not a good time to launch this business. You know, there's some wisdom in that. No, the, the, it goes on to talk about a person who, they, they, they look at the signs and they just continually find reasons why not to put in effort, not to work. They insist on ideal conditions. And so it says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. This is speaking of you know, a farmer. The primary uh, means of economic income in this time period was agriculture. And so you know, w- when you want to sow your seed, you don't want a windy day because that blows the seed around. When you're going to harvest, you don't want it to rain because that ruins the harvest. So that's good to know. So if it's raining, don't go harvest. If it's a blowing gale out there, don't go sow the seed. But this kind of person gets up in the morning and they feel the first, first little puff of wind and they say, oh, you know, I bet you it's going to get windier. I better not sow any seed today. Or if it's harvest time, they get up and say, you know, see that little cloud over there? I bet you that's the beginning of a whole front. I better not, I better not harvest today. And that happens day after day after day after day. And time goes by and they just don't do anything because... Well, there's always something that looks a little scary, something that looks risky, because life is risky. The results line is always risky. So why get in line then? Well, the reason we get in line is because God himself runs the line. We don't know how it all works, but he does. So it goes on to say, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. God is the one that runs the results line. He asks us to get in the right lines and and work and be patient and be diligent and trust him. See, we can risk and we can invest our lives and we can wait patiently for results because God is a larger factor than all the risks. And if we do our work for God, you know, if our efforts, if we're doing it on our own, if we're doing it and, and we know God doesn't want us to do it, that's something different. But if If it's work that God's given us to do, and we do it for God, we don't need certainty about the outcome. We don't need immediate results in order for us to work hard because we're working for him. So it concludes by saying, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. What it's really saying is, again, the farmer analogy, like like a farmer you just going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to plant your seed in the ground and know that it might get blown away by the wind and know that it might get destroyed by the rain and know that there might not be enough rain for it to grow. But you need to work hard all day. In the evening time, you need to get your equipment sharpened and ready for the next day. You need to work hard. Not because there's a guarantee, but because God has said this is how things will come about. You need to get in line, be diligent, and be patient. You know, our economy is made up of three sectors. There's the service sector, there's the industry or manufacturing sector, and then there is the agriculture or farming sector. In our economy, service is 77% of our economy. The the industry is 22% of our economy, and that means agriculture is 1% of our economy. What that means is nobody in this room is a farmer. Now, if you are, we had one here years ago, but an Orange County farmer. I think there's four of them left or so. But we're just not familiar with farming. And so some of these analogies we kind of understand, but we've not lived this. So it kind of 
gets lost on us. This means that we know how to get products, but we don't know the process of how they come to be. Because we rarely grow what we eat or assemble what we use, we just forget that things don't just appear. Things aren't instant. And this has turned us into consumers who really can't be bothered with the processes or the time that it takes to get results. But the process is the line that leads to the result. And it turns out we want more out of life than what we can buy in stores. God didn't go through the Industrial Revolution. He, just, he has not set up retail outlets to say, okay, just walk in, get the life you want, and walk out. That's not, of course, the way life is more like farming than it is consuming. I mean, now we can get food much faster, but it still takes a long time to come up with a good marriage. You can't just order one of those in a drive through window. The process hasn't changed. It just takes time. But, boy, if we try a few things and it doesn't work, we're done. This is the wrong person for me. You know, we, we like a customer, we, we return it. And we want to get a product that works better. But that's just not the way marriage is. You can order products from around the world. And they can be, they can be on your door, you know, sometimes same day. But within days, they can be at your door. But if, if you're trying to raise godly children, Amazon doesn't, you know, there, there, there isn't a, a, a thing that you can order where you, you know, could you help my child become godly? Now that, that's, that just takes time. That is, that is a process. And the process hasn't changed. And God makes it clear what our part is, but, boy, there's a lot of factors at play in that. There's a lot of risk involved in parenting, so we have to stand in line. You can buy stock in a company, but you can't buy stock in a life. You know, relationships, they still take time because relationships have a line called trust, and you just have to, you have to put in the time. You can't just order up a relationship. So, as it says at the beginning of this piece of wisdom, cast your bread upon the waters. Put in the effort. And after many days, some of it will come back. You'll find it again. Get in line and patiently advance. So if you're discouraged about the results in your life, you live on planet Earth. That's just the way it is. Don't give up. You may need to evaluate. You may need to assess. There may be some different ways you can put in the effort. But things, life just isn't going to show up. You're going to have to put in some hard work. There's no shortcut to work. The second line is the difficult people line. We're all probably standing in this line. We've got some difficult people in our life. In fact, I read a study years ago that estimated that one out of every three people is considered difficult. Now, they didn't establish exactly the parameters of difficult, but I think they're probably right. One out of three people, is just, they're just difficult. You know what that means? That means if you look to your left and you look to your right this morning, chances are very high that you're sitting next to a difficult person. Now, don't look at them. But the chances are high you're sitting next to a difficult person. And if, as you think about it, you're not sitting next to a difficult person, you know what that means? You're the difficult person. <laughs> you're the one. So what should be done about all of these difficult people? Well, Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who's patient calms a quarrel. Anger, hot temper is, is usually the first response, the first instinct we have. 
And it's a quick instinct whenever someone is difficult. And we, we, in our anger, we try to get them behave, but it just doesn't work, does it? It backfires, in fact. It never has its intended results. They don't stop. They become more difficult whenever you get angry at them. It stirs up, as this proverb says, it stirs up the conflict. It intensifies. So what is called for is a patient response. And that's because difficult people are not problems to be removed from your life, but they're people who need to become less difficult. And you have a role in that. Now, you, you can't make them change, and therefore you have to be patient. Change is never quick. It's never a certain process. It is a long and hard line that requires a lot of patience. Now, there, there are two basic lines in which you need to stand if you have a difficult person in your life. Two difficult people lines. Line number one is there are some people you just need to put up with some stuff. You need to put up with it. Be patient. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Some difficult people are just more irritating than they are damaging. And and you you just need to put up with some stuff. You, You can't be so sensitive that every offense you prosecute. There's some things, you know, it's to your glory. It speaks to your wisdom. If, if, you're, if you're not so touchy and you're, you're able to just, you know, let some things go. It just takes some time. Now, there may come a time when you need to address a pattern of offenses, but that's never a good initial move. It's never a good first move. You need to stand in the relationship line long enough to earn a voice into their life if, if God's going to use you to bring about change in them. So that's the first line. But if the level of difficulty is greater than just an offense, a different kind of response is called for, a different line is called for. This is spoken of in Proverbs 16.32. It says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, why all the war talk with patience and self-control? It's drawing some parallels between patience and going to war. Well, the reason is because some difficult people are more than just irritating. They will go to war against you if you let them. They they are out for their own benefit to do you harm. Now, if you overlook them, they will gladly run you over. They will tear you down on the inside. They will speak behind your back. They will do you damage. And you can't just put up with this kind of difficult person. It requires a second type of response, a different line. You need to put up a boundary. Some people, you just need to put up with it. Other people, you need to say, you know, that, I'm not, I, I, that's not right for me to put up with that. You know, in ancient warfare, there were two critical components. They're mentioned in this verse. The warrior and the city, the fortified city. In relational war, The two critical components that are being compared to these two are patience and self-control. Patience is like the warrior. Self-control is like the city. And self-control is is the wall or the boundary of a fortified city. So it says in Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. 
They're like a city that has no boundaries. There's no walls. Just come in and pillage it. There's no protection. There's no boundaries here at all. You see, self-control sets the boundaries of a life. It sets the boundaries of your behavior, as well as the boundaries of the behavior you will allow from others. Without boundaries, you're open to assault, either from personal temptation from you on the inside or from personal attack on the outside. You know, in, in ancient times, walls were erected around ancient cities to protect the valuables on the inside. The statement was, inside this city are valuable people and valuable possessions. That's why we put up these boundaries. That's why the wall exists. There's value inside. Out there, there's some value, but not enough value to build a wall around. Not enough to put a boundary around. That's just dirt out there. Here is a city. There's people inside here. They need to be protected. A relational boundary says the same thing. A relational boundary is simply saying that you will not allow others to abuse you because you're valuable. And really, they're valuable too. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. So it's not discarding the relationship in the trash like anger does. It's simply removing yourself from the situation when people, when difficult people start attacking you. A lot of times people who follow Christ get very confused on this. They think that To love, which is the command of Christ, means that we just need to have no boundaries and we just need to let people run all over us and abuse us and yell at us and just generally take full advantage of us. That's not loving them and that's not loving you. That's not love. That's a lack of self-control. Now, if the abuse gets physical... You need to get out of that relationship line. You know, we're, we're talking about relational abuse, verbal stuff. But if it goes physical, you need to get out of that relationship line. So that's the difficult people line. Now the last line, the wisdom line. Wisdom has been the theme of this message series. That's God's word for life hack. The wise are those who know and live God's ways. Now, the reason this is a shortcut is because God's ways, well, they're the shortest way from where you are to where you need to be. Wisdom is really the only real shortcut in life. It's God saying, here's how life works. You can take all kinds of time figuring this out the hard way, or you can just listen to what I say and do this, and it'll work better for you. Wisdom is the only real shortcut in life. But getting wisdom, well, that takes time. That just takes time. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is presented as a woman calling out and inviting people to listen to wisdom, to listen to her. This is what it says in verse 34 of Proverbs 8. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Blessed are those who listen to me. How many times does a wise person listen to wisdom? says here, watching daily at my doors. This is not just kind of a wisdom download. This is a regular pattern of going to God's Word and listening to its wisdom daily at the doors, listening to the wisdom. Well, for how long? How many days should this be done? Well, as it says, waiting at my doorway. The idea is as long as it takes for wisdom to answer the door. If there's an area in life where you're confused... You need to knock on the door of God's Word until you get an answer. 
Now, what people want to do is they want to just be told the answer. They want to just suddenly have the answer occur to them. And God says, I put the answers in my word. Well, that's a big book. I know. Start reading. Start working on it. The more days you spend waiting at the door, the greater the chance, and knocking at the door, the greater the chance is that wisdom's going to open one day and say, here's some advice for you. Do this. But you see, we're in a consumer-oriented culture. We want to go online and, and discover wisdom. It just takes longer than that. Now, why does wisdom take so long to develop? Well, because of the nature of it. Wisdom is, is an invisible force that God has woven into the very fabric of the way the universe works. This is very important to understand. This is just how the universe works. And so it's kind of like gravity in that you can't see it. But it affects every single thing you do. It's the moral law of the universe. And no one can escape it. I mean, people can disagree with God's wisdom. People can be mad about God's wisdom. But like gravity, God's wisdom always wins because it's just the way things have been made. It's the way the world is. It's the way moral reality has been shaped, and no one can escape it. So whenever you make a wise decision, you're tapping into this wisdom, and your life tends to go better, not immediately, but over time, because you're beginning to build your life in line with the way God has made things to be. So life just tends to go better. Conversely, if you make a foolish decision, the opposite of wisdom, you are going against not just what God said in a book, you're going against the fabric of the way things are. And so life tends to go worse for you. One friend told me this years ago, he said, everybody's out to prove the Bible's true, one way or another. Now, either you defy it, and by the end of your life, with the wreckage of your life, you discover that I didn't build a good life. Or you take it seriously, you knock at its doors daily, and you wait for answers, and then you do those answers. And at the end of your life, well, you didn't live a perfect life, but well, you built a good life. Because you listened to God's wisdom. But wisdom is not just a set of facts. It's a skill that you learn not just ideas only. We've talked about this a little bit, but I want to mention this again. In fact, the word for wisdom in the Bible is used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft. They have wisdom, the Hebrew word for wisdom. They, they excel at woodworking, or they excel at pottery, they excel at masonry or ironwork, whatever their craft was of the day. They are skilled artisans. That's the word that's used for wisdom. It's someone who takes the material of what God has said and builds skill over time to actually build that into their life. That takes time. So you possess wisdom not when you learn what wisdom says about an area in your life, but when you use it to put it into practice and you develop the skill of building a good life. So wisdom, like every other skill in life, it just takes time to develop. It takes practice. It takes effort, sustained effort. 
in order for you to become wise. If you were here a few weeks ago, you may remember that I, I challenged you or I gave you an option, just something to consider. Maybe read one chapter of Proverbs a day because there's 31 Proverbs and most months have 31 days. So whatever day it is, read that chapter in the book of Proverbs. And I challenge you to do that, just to, if you're not, to get you in the habit of knocking at wisdom's door daily and spending some time praying about, trying to understand one idea out of that chapter and then work at how would I build that idea into my day, into my life. Now, I don't know how many of you have done that. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands or anything. I'm just bringing this up. I don't know how many of you have done that. I don't know how many of you are daily taking the time to read the Bible and applying it to your life. But if you're anything like me, you'll find that it's, it's a challenge to be consistent. It's a challenge. It takes effort to knock at wisdom's door every single day. And when you miss a day, to get back up and start knocking again. It just takes, it takes effort to be consistent. The reason is, why? Well, we have, we have busy lives, right? There are a lot of demands. There are a lot of things demanding for our attention. And wisdom, wisdom is a long line to stand in. I mean, you can, you can get up in the morning or in the evening, and you can decide, I'm going to spend 20, I'm going to spend 30 minutes knocking at wisdom's door, and it doesn't feel nearly as productive as all of the other things that are screaming from your email or to-do list that need to be done. Wisdom calls for you, but wisdom will not scream for your attention. You're going to have to decide to do that. So it's just a challenge for us to stand in this line and become wise. And that's why most people, by the time they get late in life, they've just lived their life one day at a time, one urgent demand at a time, one season of pressure at a time. And they come to the end of their life and they haven't put in the time. So I challenge you, if you're not in this line, to get in the line. Start it. And if you've stepped out of the wisdom line, get back in line. That's okay. You can't, un you can't go back in time. You can go forward. So get back in line. Start reading God's Word. Start praying and asking God for insight. Do this today. And then do this tomorrow. Put it on your calendar. Make sure it happens. Start building with God's wisdom. Building a life with it. And to help you remember the importance of wisdom... We had a, a carabiner with the first part of the theme verse printed on it for this message series. If you were here for the first message of this series, we handed these out to everyone to kind of let you uh, remember what the series was about and to help you remember this. And, and so now, as we are wrapping up this series, we want to hand these out again. You may have lost yours already. You may be thinking right now, I don't know where it is. That's fine. That's why we're giving this to you again. Uh, or if you'd like another one, or if you weren't here for the first message series. So as you walk out, there'll be ushers at the doors with baskets of these carabiners. Just go ahead and, this is what they look like. I think we got a picture up there. Yeah, so just go ahead and grab one of these. And I would encourage you to use this as a reminder. I mean, actually use it for some kind of life hack, something that would be helpful that you can look at it again and again, or hang it somewhere that you go by regularly so that you can remember the importance of knocking on wisdom's door daily. So let me, um, let me read our theme verse as we wrap up this series. This is the, the first phrase of this is on, printed on these carabiners, and then we'll pray. Here's what it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Let's pray together. Father, we, we need our paths to be made straight. If it's just up to our own desires or our own wisdom or insight, we will build a life with lots of twists and turns and lots of wasted energy and time and money. We, we want to build a life that is truly good. And to do that, we need to trust you. Again and again, at the intersection of decision where your word says that we need to head one direction and our desires say we need to head the other direction, we, we need to trust you at that point and begin to build with what you've said. So we ask that you would help us to grow in our trust of you and not in our own understanding. And that as we come to the points of decision, you would remind us to acknowledge you, to look up and to consider what you have to say. I pray that in this room, many, many would begin to build the habit of knocking on wisdom's door daily, looking for answers, and that you would give us great patience and persistence. Because we only have one life, we only have a certain amount of days and decades, and we want our days to, to build something that really lasts. We thank you for your wisdom. Help us now build with it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.